It's a beautiful Sunday morning. We're going to be in Luke 18 in just a moment, but we're going to start with a word of prayer. So, Bob, would you please lead us? Father, I just thank you for this beautiful morning. Lord, I thank you for your, your family that you've gathered here. Father, I, I thank you for the, the great gift of knowing and, and worshiping your son. Uh, the eternal life that you have given us in him, Lord, for giving us your spirit and your word. and um, I thank you for, for opening our eyes to the, just the beauty and the wonder and the glory of Jesus. I, I pray that uh, you'd open our eyes this morning, our eyes and our hearts, to see him and to um, know him in the word. Lord, I, I pray that you would just anoint pastor with, with the words that we need to hear, Lord. I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, just by way of review from last week, what is the kingdom of God that we see so often in the Gospels? Kingdom of God. We're all good, Paul. Thanks. <laughs> well, he has the lowest voice, it's doesn't he? the deepest. <laughs> I thought he was talking to me. Smart, Paul. We're just calling you out here, but... Your voice is loud. And deep. Sorry. So, no, no worries to be sorry about that. So, one way to define it would be God is the rightful king to whom we owe our allegiance and obedience. All of us have rebelled against his rightful authority. The kingdom of God is reclaiming rebels to a right relationship with the king with all the benefits and responsibilities of belonging to him. So, which would include, of course, submission to his kingship. <laughs> he is king, and we're rebels, so that needs to come back into line as well. And then what were some things, we kind of had three main observations last week about the return of Christ. Some. Secret. Okay, very good. You want to say a little more, Adder? Okay, very good, very good. So it's going to be public and visible. Every eye will see him. It's not a little surprise thing in Brooklyn, New York, that the JW said happened. It's Everybody's going to know it, and there won't be any doubt about it. Um, what else was true of the Lord's return that we saw in Luke 17? going to be unexpected. Very good. Wow, you guys are going right down my list. So what would be an example of that, Bob? Uh, people will be going uh, going around doing just their their normal daily things they do in life, marrying and giving and marriage. Mm -hmm. Very good, very good. So, um, And then judgment arrives, just boom, unexpected. Life is just a normal day, so to speak. Um, and then there was one other piece that's similar to the last one, but... Remember the, I wish we'd all been ready part? So there's a separation that is coming, and when it happens, it will be too late to reverse course. So some will be taken, some will be left, but once that happens, it's not like you can get a do-over. Um, <laughs> you're either left for judgment or taken to be with the Lord. So any comments or questions that we didn't get to talk about last week on the Lord's return or the kingdom of God? 
just was it yesterday we saw some roadkill on the highway couldn't help but think of vultures and Tammy's comment <laughs> that uh, vultures do that kind of thing so you can see tie-ins to study school everywhere you look <laughs> okay well um, before we look at the first verse of Luke 18 what are some times that we might be tempted to lose heart and feel like giving up that ever happened to anybody what kind of things prompt that feeling persistent health issues that you're either yours or your loved ones that you pray about a lot okay anything else maybe an extended trial Okay, extended trial. Anything else? I keep thinking of the people in Ukraine, what they're going through. Okay, yeah, I think they'd be maybe feeling that way. I'd say anytime I'm reminded that I'm actually not in control of anything. Ooh. Just pretty much all the time. Yeah, <laughs> but sometimes I have the illusions that I think I'm in control. It is an illusion, yes. Okay, so I think a common thread on at least a couple of those is passing of time. So it's one thing to have a 24-hour flu bug, and you can look at the clock go, okay, I've got 23 more hours, and then this is going to be better. And it often works that way. But when it goes on day after day, or week after week, or month after month, or even year after year, you said persistent, you know, and doesn't get better, doesn't improve, doesn't even change, we tend to lose heart and want to give up. So Jesus is going to tell us a parable uh, because of that reality. Would somebody read Luke 18, verse 1? And he spoke a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Okay, so faint or lose heart, same idea. Um, so why would that help us not lose heart what is the connection between praying at all times and not losing heart staying connected okay want to say more about that Okay, good. Any other thoughts on the relationship between keep on praying as an antidote to not losing heart? Well, <clears throat> appropriate prayer includes adoration, okay. recognition of who it is that you are praying to, and if we are focused on who God is, that brings into light the fact that our problems are not as big as we would think that they are because he's in control of all of it. Okay, good. Good. And it, acknowledges <coughs> that, it acknowledges that God is the source of our um, strength and that if he is sovereign over all things which he is, then what we're going through he's in control of and so we need to be prayer keeps us 
asking, you know, maybe it's why or figuring things out and just staying connected to him because he's the source of the answer to why we're going through what we're going through. Okay. Good. Any other thoughts on the connection between don't give up praying and not giving up? Huh? I want to add to what Tess said. <clears throat> After our trial in 2015, we were, you know, maybe we talked about it in closed circles, but you know, we rarely said in public that what we do now, that we know without a shadow of a doubt God was the author of our trial for our good, our good purposes and His glory. Now, I've not always been willing to go to that depth, but I believe with all my heart now, especially in light of what I believe I know about James one. You know, we're to consider joy because He's doing this great work of building our faith. He's the author of it for our good and his glory. Why would I not trust him through whatever comes? Good. Good stuff. Okay. Brett? Would you also I mean can we also just say he answers prayer? It's good to keep asking. Can we say that? Well, I mean, I mean, like, we're we're being reminded that that sometimes he doesn't, or that it's good to think of him, but like he's also the one that answers prayer. And so if we do ask, sometimes the answer is yes. Okay. Very good. And sometimes the yes just takes a little longer than right. what we were thinking, right? Okay. Well, here's one possible connection. I love all these answers, so thank you for chiming in. This is like the right answer, just another connection besides all the good ones that have been mentioned, okay? So go to 2 Corinthians 4 for a second. Somebody read... 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Okay. okay, that comes out a little different in your version. Okay, so in my version it says, As we received mercy, we do not lose heart. I'm not enough of a Greek scholar to know that's right or yours is right or they're both right. But so where do we receive mercy? I'm just looking back because of the therefore at the beginning of verse 1 at the end of chapter 3, uh, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So it comes, it comes from mercy, comes from the Lord, and He's changing us. Okay, good. That's right, right there, right in the context connected with the therefore. Very good. So, this is my lame attempt. Um, I was thinking of Hebrews 4.16 as far as therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy. So Paul says, I receive mercy, that's why I didn't lose heart. And Hebrews 4 says, we can receive mercy by going to the throne of grace, which is 
curve. So that would be a connection in addition to all the other really good things about staying connected and remembering God's sovereign and God is the author. All those are absolutely right and this no extra charge bonus, 2 Corinthians 4.1 and Hebrews 4.16. That fair? Okay. So that was not like, all you guys were wrong. That's the right answer. It's like, this is a piece of the answer along with all those other really good pieces. Okay. All right. So Jesus is going to tell a story to illustrate this. Would somebody read Luke 18, 2 to 5? He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God, I care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, just so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. Okay, thank you. We'll just stop there for now. Um, this parable is similar to what other parable that we've already seen in Luke? She's like a toddler. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Um, As a mother in that stage. Yes, yes. Um, do you remember Luke 11? There was another story. The parable of the, the, the man asking for, uh, for bread. From right. Remember, it's late. He's knocking on the door. Give me some bread. I had unexpected company. And he's saying, I'm already in bed. The kids are in bed. I'll wake everybody up. And it says for his persistence, he still goes ahead and gives them the bread. So what isn't the point of those two parables? We're about down. Boom. Thank you. I'm glad that's hopefully getting clear. Um, it's not if you pray long enough and hard enough and often enough, God will, like a mother of toddlers, go, okay, here. <laughs> Here's your stupid snack. Um, <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> oh, I have called out. Yes. Yeah. So, so it was Carter, wasn't it? Carter, I'm going to call you out, buddy. So as you were a young warthog, you were raised also not to say the word stupid. And I was preaching, and in a moment of less than self-control, I said the word stupid in the pulpit. And Carter was just... <laughs> and, and told dear Sandy like, pastor sent <laughs> so anyway so I sorry for that breach of etiquette <laughs> but uh, we did have an actual lady in this church after a dry spell where we needed some rain and then we finally got some rain she told me the Lord must have gotten tired of all those people asking for rain so there are people who do think you do wear God down. You ask him enough, he'll give in. So if that's not the point, what is the point? Let's just go with the judge story here. God is just and will do justice. Okay, good, good. 
maybe we could say something like this, just all the contrasts. If an unjust judge, for less than good motives, will sometimes do the right thing for a stranger he doesn't care about, how much more can we trust our Father, who is absolutely righteous and perfectly wise, and who loves us to do what is right for his children? So it's not a compare where God out, it's a contrast. He's a judge, we have a father. He's ornery, God is loving. And just back and forth, it's a, it's a certain kind of argument to make the point you can count on God to do what's right. All right? Anybody agree with that or is that... Kyle? You brought up Luke 11. Mm-hmm. Back to 11 11 it says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. So it's a similar contrast between right. we have this earthly father that will do this, how much more will our heavenly father right. do? Right, good, good, very good. Yeah, if a friend will even do it, how much more will a father do what's right? Okay, good. Well, let's. Before we look at the next verses, what are some times when you or others have doubts about the fairness slash unfairness of life? I'll just start with a a little example and you can build. Um, Those of you with kids, do your kids ever say, not fair? Yes. Okay, thank you. Um, Have you ever been to a game, like Scott, for example? And the umps or the referees um, are kind of the three blind mice. (laughs) And you say things like, there's no justice. You know, they're they're calling strikes and they're not strikes and they're, you know. And then our team gets up and all of a sudden it's, or whatever, or that was a foul on them, but their guy did it worse than us and no foul. So sometimes at games we say, this isn't fair. And then, of course, there's deeper levels than just those examples. What, what would be some other examples? Well, Scott's terribly unfair to the Iwana leaders. <laughs> Did you want to defend yourself, Scott? <laughs> I think that's a badge he wears with honor. That's okay. <laughs> He's just tough. How about other people get blessings I don't get? That doesn't feel fair. Or abortion? A million kids a year get killed? That's not fair. Or, Ed, you mentioned Ukraine. It's not fair. Civilians are getting killed by a Russian army. That's, that's not fair. So there's, this world is full of unfair, right? So here's some verses that talk about that. And we'll see what Jesus says. So we're just kind of seeing the need here, and then we'll look at the rest of the verses. Um, somebody read Isaiah forty twenty seven. Isaiah forty, verse twenty seven. Why 
are you to say, O Jacob, and desert, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God. The justice due me escapes the notice of my God. I deserve better treatment than I am currently receiving from God. And he's not being just. That's a strong sentence, isn't it? Or go to Malachi 2.17, or if you're Italian, Malachi 2.17. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Where is the God of justice? This life is not fair. So let's read the rest of Luke 18's parable. Luke 18. Would somebody read 6 through 8, please? And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge, judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will we find faith on earth? Okay, thank you. So Jesus reminds us God will bring about justice for his elect. Um, do you remember the Randy Alcorn definition of hope? Believing that one day, even if today is not that day, that God will set all things right. So it doesn't seem like it's Sunday, April 3rd, that God's going to set everything right. But one day he will. Um, not just because Luke 18 says that, but all over the Bible it says God will settle all accounts right. So and if you were here in um, Sunday School for Revelation, do you remember Revelation 6? Revelation 6, would somebody read 9 through 11? When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They call out in a loud voice, How long, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer, until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Okay, so who's, who's the people these verses are talking about? Martyrs. Martyrs. And they're saying, how long, Lord, before you judge this and avenge us? And this is not fair that your people are being killed like lambs to the slaughter and the bad guys are on top of things. It's funny what we think we deserve. I'm, I'm always fascinated by that. Okay. In my own life and just what I hear others say. When I show them houses and their certain things on their list of wants, mm -hmm. and um, I don't, I don't get to share it with them. I don't get to share how I feel. 
contrary to popular belief, I can bite my tongue. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, I often think to myself, like, wow, it's so fascinating that you feel this is a this is a necessity, or you feel like this is something that you must have in your life. Okay. And Maybe because you deserve it, even, right? Yes, and I, you know, so then I stole this from the Welties. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> and I didn't even fully, like, understand what she was saying when she said it, but one time one of their children came to them and said, that's not fair, and Naomi said, you don't want it to be fair. And I was like, oh, okay, yes. So I started saying that to Gregory, you don't want it to be fair, because what would have been fair is that we're all struck. Mm. But instead, God put someone in our place to take what we actually deserve. It's just the gospel. It's just so sweet to be able to say, like, really, what would have been fair is for none of this to be at all. And the reality reminders. Yes, and... You don't want that, Gregory. I don't think he fully understands it yet, but I'm going to keep saying it. No, keep, keep, keep teaching, yeah. Yeah. So hopefully you've all gotten your new directories. Um, Ruth Richards put those together. Um, anyway, I heard a story once about, you know, there was a church pictorial directory, and one of the families complained, this picture doesn't do us justice. And the person who did it said, you don't want justice, you want mercy. <laughs> <laughs> How's that for a horizontal distraction from a very sobering reality in Revelation 6? <laughs> so what is, how does God respond to this question about how long is it going to take before you bring justice? What does God say? Longer, isn't that interesting? And that apparently was um, like two thousand years ago, and that still fits under the definition of a little longer. Isn't that interesting? How sweet that he also told them why. Well, yes. What, what's the why? You have to wait for the rest. Yeah. So there's an exact number of martyrs that God has determined already. And when the last martyr is put to death, boom. So if you've ever read um, Safely Home by Randy Elkhorn, that's just, I think, one of the coolest scenes for this little um, street sweeper in China is the last martyr, and then Jesus comes back. Just boom. It's really cool. So, so yes, he gives a reason, and he gives a very vague time reference a little while longer. So, again, when you think of God in Isaiah 54 calls 70 years a brief moment when he calls our lifetime a vapor. <laughs> our time is much different than God's time. And so what feels like this is taking forever, again, if you've had little kids, you know, you know, this is taking forever um, to get to the store or whatever. Um, God says, no, I, forever is a lot longer than you think. And 70 years is a lot shorter than you think. And so a little while, when I say a little while, is going to be different than what you think. But it still will happen. So there's a difference between no, it's not going to happen, and it's going to be a little bit longer, and then it will happen. Okay? So, 
God will bring about justice for his elect at the right time. And interestingly enough, Jesus, did you notice the, the language there too? Kind of He says, will he delay long over them? Will he bring about justice for them quickly? So isn't that again? It's like, it's been 2,000 years. Doesn't seem like quickly. But in God's definition, in the Lord's Jesus definition, it's still quickly. So hard to wrap our heads around that. Um, Any comments or questions on this parable. It's still kind of hard to know what to say to people, though. Um, I've had two situations like this in the last couple weeks. A co-worker whose son is profoundly um, disabled and delayed in his development saying, I feel like I'm angry at God, she says. And and then my older, my older sister has a son with psychological issues and all, and she's, um, you, know, you know, said, you know, it doesn't seem fair, you know. So it's hard to know what to say. Yeah, and there's a difference between an unbeliever and a believer, of course, in how we would respond. Um, and maybe that's worth bringing up the whole thing. Is it ever okay to be angry with God? And I would say no, and here's why. To be angry with someone presupposes they have wronged you. So if God has never wronged us, then it is never right to be angry with him. Okay? doesn't mean we don't sometimes feel frustration slash anger, but it's not okay. And so I was in hospice for a number of years and um, in the bereavement side, and part of our training was it's okay to be angry with God. God has big shoulders. He can handle it. You know, you just go ahead and vent on God all you want. And I respectfully disagreed with that and said, no, it's not okay to be angry with God. God always does all things well. He never wrongs anyone. And so, yes, you might feel that anger, but it's not okay to be angry at God because he has not wronged you. Everyone agree with that? And interesting enough, the bereavement director actually came around on that too, which was nice. <laughs> she didn't hand out the little sheet that says, is it okay to be angry with God as part of the training, for her, which I appreciated. So, what does Jesus, why would Jesus ask, will he find faith on the earth when he comes back? Why would he ask that? Obviously not a post-millennialist. Brett was the only one who would get that one. <laughs> I was the one that laughed at that Okay, so post-millennial means the kingdom comes after we've, or I mean Christ comes back after we've set up the kingdom on earth. Which this doesn't sound like that's happening. So why would he ask? And uh, Kyle, aren't you in Matthew 24 in BSF? 25, no. Oh, 25 now, okay. Similar. So last week, didn't you have... Maybe Matthew 24, 9 through, let's say, 14. You want to read that, Kyle? What is it? 
24. Matthew 24, 9 through 14. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So kind of, how would you describe those verses as far as what it's going to be like before the Lord comes back? Not warm and fuzzy. Not warm and fuzzy. That would be a very accurate summary. Kind of seems like some of it is happening now. I think you could make a case for that for sure. People are walking away from the Lord. So it sounds like things are kind of, I mean, it's like two things happening at once. Here's the gospel is still spreading all over the world, but overall the climate is getting very cold as far as love grows cold, apostasy increases, people hating each other, love, you know, people getting killed for the gospel. I mean, it's, it sounds pretty doom and gloom, not warm and fuzzy, um, but he's still going to triumph. But I think, I mean, that's my best attempt at why he would ask, will he find faith on the earth is, that's what it's going to be like. It's going to be rare <laughs> to find true Christians who are still doing well at the end. Mark? Um, what I'm getting out of that is a lot of people's faith is based on what they see. Hmm. So if they're not seeing things go their way, they fall away. Interesting comment. Especially in light of the verse that says we walk by faith, not by sight. <laughs> Sounds like we're not supposed to base our faith on what we see. Well, and you had a similar reaction uh, when Jesus fed the crowds. There was all kinds of people that wanted to follow him. Hmm. But then when they started hearing some of the words and they, they sounded difficult, then they said, I don't want any of this. <laughs> Yeah, the free bread isn't worth it. I'm out of here. Yeah, that's John 6. Any other thoughts on this parable and Jesus' conclusion to it and praying and not losing heart? Okay, well, let's go to the next parable, which also is introduced with a reason why he told it. But before we do, a little word association game. What do you usually think of when you hear the word Pharisee? Legalism. Legalism. What else? Hypocrite. Hypocrite. And probably one more. Pride. Pardon me? Pride. Pride would definitely be in there. Slash judgmental. Right? Wouldn't those be like the top things we think of when we hear Pharisee? Like, like they're, they're really kind of jerks. Oh, is that okay to say that one? <laughs> okay. I can't say the S-T-U one. That's Carter doing it. Carter, are you okay, man? <laughs> You're just shaking over there. Okay. And now, what do we usually think of when we hear the word publican or tax collector? Sinner. But what? Greater than a normal sinner. 
No, I'm not asking how they would have seen it. I'm asking how we hear it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's true, and that's how the first audience would hear it. But what have, over the years, we have come to think about tax collectors? IRS. And they are... He's looking for a word, guys. Okay. Is it thievery? So here's where I'm going with this. Yeah, they're dishonest. But in spite of their character flaws, they're basically nice guys. They have a wife. They pay their tax. Well, maybe they don't pay their taxes. <laughs> you know, they have a mortgage. Um, maybe a pet. Um, they're they're based deep down inside. They're they're good. They they mean well. They just have a kind of a iffy job. I think that's how we think of them now. We don't have the oomph that a first century audience would have had, which is the things you already mentioned. Dishonest, sellout, traitor, bad guy, right? Low, um, just a moral low life, okay? Like bottom of the rung on the ladder of bad guys. So, and how would a first century Jew think about a Pharisee? First century Jew, not us. How would they see Pharisees? Hatred. I don't think so. I think they admired them. They were respected. They're a good example to follow because they're serious about following religion. Oh, I was like a tax collector for some reason. No, no, yeah, I I switched over to Pharisee, sorry. Okay, so Jesus is going to tell a story that challenges the basic assumption that good people like Pharisees go to heaven and bad people like tax collectors go to hell. Um, So let's read um, Luke 18, verse 9. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Okay, so what does righteous mean? Okay, good, good. And then what does contempt mean? Look down on other people, right, good. Despise them. So let's read 10 through 12. So let me read those verses. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Okay, so what do you notice about this prayer? Yeah, the word I shows up five times, so very full of himself. Self-exalting. And self-exalting, right. He does a lot of good things and he doesn't do the bad things. And so what is he forgetting Okay, and that he's included, right? So a verse like Ecclesiastes 7.20 seems like a good reminder for this gentleman. It says, Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. So he thought he temporarily forgot that, apparently. Um, So let's read verse 13. 
But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Okay. So what do you notice about this prayer? Contrite. Okay. What's contrite mean? Humble. Humble. Good. It's unworthy. It's easy to shame. Probably some of that too, right? And on what basis is he hoping God will deal with him? Mercy. Mercy. Okay, so the Pharisee would seem to be reward me because I'm so good. And here's have mercy on me because I'm not very good. I'm bad. And um, so then let's read 14. Here's this. This is a surprise ending. We're used to it, but this is a shocker to the first audience. Somebody read 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Okay, so what does justified mean? Right with God. Right with God. Very good. Declared right in God's sight, the opposite of being condemned, accepted, and welcomed by God. And again, this would be a shocker because everyone would have assumed the Pharisee would be welcomed and accepted by God because he's so good, and the tax collector would not be accepted and welcomed by God because he's so bad. But it's not about merit, it's about mercy. Bad people cry out for mercy are justified. Quote unquote, good people who think they have a reward coming go home not justified. See the contrast? He didn't say they both went home justified. One went home justified, and the other didn't go home that way. So that should get our attention. So what should we learn from this parable? I'll start you off with this one. That same lesson was taught in Sunday school, and they asked Billy to pray. Billy said, Lord, I thank you I'm not like that Pharisee. (laughs) (laughs) And now you're thinking, thank you, Lord, I'm not like Billy. So, what 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 should we gain from this? Our right standing before God is not because of anything that we do, but because of what God has done for us. Amen. Okay, very good. Well, um, any closing questions or thoughts? Mike? You know, we we uh, spoke of covetousness earlier um, and how we're inclined, naturally inclined to approach practically everything with a covetous bent hmm. uh, when it comes to what we want. And oftentimes, in my life anyway, I've found that when it comes to trying to justify my own actions, I always have a bent toward um, acting like the Pharisee hmm. instead of examining my life through the lens of scripture comparing to Christ's perfect righteousness, it's so much easier just to pick on someone that's an easy target and say, I'm better than he is. Hmm. Just like the Pharisee did. And then we build ourselves up in self-righteousness which is no righteousness at all. And, and how Jesus very quickly dismantles that whole thing by saying very clearly it's the, the Pharisee ought to be comparing himself to Christ's perfect righteousness. Not his own self righteousness, mm. he has mm. his own head. 
which is a great segue into where we'll go, Lord willing, next week, the rich young ruler, because remember, Jesus, you know, gets asked, you know, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus just starts him off with some of the commandments, and what does he have the audacity to say? I've been doing this since my youth. (laughs) What else you got? (laughs) You know, so again, comparing himself with other people around him, like maybe a tax collector or some of the other lowlife, yeah, I've been keeping the law, and Jesus is going to help him understand where he's at better. But that's, you have to come back next week to get the rest of that. So, a little teaser there at the end. So let's close in prayer. John, would you close this, please? Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can openly study it and gain wisdom from it. Uh, we ask that you would use it to change our lives and uh, that you would mold us into uh, image closer to Jesus and uh, help us to set our hope on heaven, Lord. Uh, we ask that you prepare our hearts for uh, worship now and uh, listening to the sermon. Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.